This episode of the Pain Education Corner is sponsored by the Camella Foundation. The Camella Foundation is committed to relieving pain naturally using osteopathic healing principles. Here at the Camella Foundation, we envision a world where people achieve their maximum potential by being empowered with knowledge and skills to heal themselves and others. This information is to be used for educational purposes only and not to be construed as medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, please consult a licensed healthcare professional. Hello, it's Bill, the knee pain guru. Welcome to the pain education podcast. And we have Dr. Andrea Moore back live. And we're going to talk today about how and, and help me with this ancestor working with our ancestors. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there can be a physical pain experience in this reality as a result of ancestral, something that's happened in your yeah. ancestral Many. lineage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll refer to a lot of like intergenerational trauma. Intergener sure. Sure. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. yeah. And that's not, I know I've heard of a lot of studies of uh, from um, uh, psychologists, mm -hmm. psychiatrists that traced uh, what happened uh, during World War II, both on mm -hmm. the Russian side and the German side, and how that is showing up in conditions that are happening in today's uh, children, grandchildren from those days. So yeah. And there are, yeah. And I think anyone listening who's like, what is this woo woo stuff or anything like this? It's like, they are really one, it's an incredibly complex thing mm. to study for very obvious reasons. Um, because there are so many factors here, but what they are showing is that there's studies of like, where I'm familiar with it is like grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, um, their cortisol levels are different. Their stress levels are different. Like their nervous systems, their susceptibility to chronic diseases and having chronic pain mm -hmm. is all raised. It's affected. And I think they've shown it mm -hmm. too. I know there was, I should have looked it up. Um, so, uh, one of the many potato famines or famines is that were somewhere in Europe. It's like the same thing. It's like the grandchildren that are really heavily affected. And, um, there's a really good study. I can't remember if I told you this last time, but I'll, I'll say it again of uh, in mice mm -hmm. that the cherry blossom study. Are you familiar with this one? I am not. No. Okay. Awesome. Well, this will be exciting. Okay. So they did a study where they took mice because these poor little mice are, you know, easy to study, but they shocked them every time that they were exposed to the smell of cherry blossoms. Ooh. Okay. And I know poor little guys, right? So they kind of like the Pavlov's dogs, right? Like they basically it would get to the point where the mice would have a stress response just from smelling cherry blossoms. So they created like this trauma association with cherry blossoms. Mm -hmm. And then those mice had babies and mm -hmm. their babies without ever being exposed to the electric shock 
had a trauma stress response in response to smelling the cherry blossoms. Whereas mice who weren't exposed, their babies had no reaction to the smell. So it shows us that trauma is passed down, or I don't even like to look at it. I mean, it is traumatic to be shocked with electric shock, right? But it's like this protective mechanism is passed down through the DNA. Mm -hmm. And this went on for like generations of mice before it kind of then got bred out. But it was like five, six generations before they lost that, even though none of the grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren were ever exposed to the electric to shock. The shocking of, of those mice. Yes. Wow. Just the, the original ones, right? So yeah, and I learned this study from, I just want to give credit to where I've learned it from, is Dr. Valerie Rain, and she wrote a book called Patriarchy Stress Disorder, and she was one of my mentors, and so she, this is where I learned a lot about intergenerational trauma it was from her and her program, and um, I just thought the study was so profound because one, because it's an animal's, there's no, there's no stories attached, right? This is like a purely nervous system reaction. There's no other explanation for it. Um, whereas with people, it's harder to weed out what, you know, what has been passed down also through story or patterns or behaviors and, you know, like what's actually in the DNA versus what did your parents teach you to be resilient about or watch out for or sure. stuff like that, right? Mice mm-hmm. there, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So, Again, I just all kind of proof that we know that trauma gets passed down through the DNA through like multitude of studies. And I would say it's being studied more and more now. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that's fascinating. And, and I can see it's a ripple in the pond. Yeah. Like we're, we're, things are getting passed down. I know there's characteristics that I see in myself. That I'm like, oh, that's what my dad did. Yeah. That's what my mom did. And that could be completely learned. And I know I'm passing that to my daughter in, in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a dilution of it, but that still exists. Um, and I, I think at times, how much is this being passed down from my grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents? Totally, totally, yeah. And yeah, I personally got into it because... I, I was raised very privileged, but my lineage has a massive amount of trauma. So I think for me, I was like, and you know, I want to share this in case anybody else can relate of like, I was walking through the world and I felt like I was having reactions to things that were not, it wasn't appropriate for my environment, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like it, it didn't make sense. And as much like, as much as there are learned behaviors, my parents, they basically, you know, in a really healthy way that most people do is just hide all their trauma and don't ever talk about it. So mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to it really through story through them. Um, I mean, sure in other ways, but, but really my experience just kept being this like feeling of like, I, like I literally felt like I was holding on to something that was not mine. And I don't mm-hmm. know if I could have described it in exactly those words, mm-hmm. but it was just, there was just this sense of like, why can I not move through these certain patterns like why do things feel like so much easier to other people that was really like the how the pattern was showing up I'm like I felt like everyone was just moving through life so much easier than I was mm-hmm. and so when I got exposed to intergenerational trauma it all made sense because both of my parents immigrated which is one of the biggest 
one of a, a huge trauma but both immigrated due to like the Russians invading their homeland and them having to escape out of their country. Mm-hmm. So that's like my direct parents. And then my grandma was in Auschwitz and my oh. grandpa was also a, a um, oh. Holocaust yeah. survivor. So like, I just have a lot of trauma in my lineage. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, there has been zero processing of it. And I think more that's as things are being learned more and more, about it it's usually not the generation that's holding the trauma that can process it like it's mm-hmm. it's especially traumas like that like it's too big so it often yeah uh, the, the gener just to be understand you mm-hmm. the generation that's holding it meaning your generation your parents that directly experienced the trauma the directly experienced the trauma isn't capable of uh diffusing the trauma in their neuron got it okay like it is going to probably be passed down and that's okay and it's like really when you look at humanity like whose lineage doesn't have trauma right like Mm -hmm. and I think there are different degrees like my lineage does have a massive amount of trauma whereas someone else you know might be a little further back in the lineage or not as big but yeah, I would say it's, it's, it, to me, it's usually a s- component of almost everyone's healing mm-hmm. or why, especially when I'm talking with about chronic pain, right. Of why our nervous system is a little bit more sensitized since that is the reason that chronic pain occurs in the first place is from a sensitized nervous system. So sure. So that charge yeah, passed down from the grandparents to the parents from the parents to the child. And now I'm feeling this charge in my neurology that didn't happen to me so it seems out of context with my life Mm -hmm. someone says boo and i fall on the ground crying what is that that doesn't make sense that's not uh, appropriate that's not uh the appropriate response for a nervous system yes that is calm and mellow Yes. So how can we begin to understand this experience and begin to diffuse that intergenerational trauma? Yeah. I would I want to even back up and say before we move into the intergenerational trauma piece. Okay. Because I love your example of like boo and you fall down on the ground crying, right? Like I'm going to guess for most people who have have this like hypervigilant response. Mm-hmm. Chances are there has been a lot layered onto it because there's probably a lot of shame and guilt, resistance, anger, frustration, because if you're that person who, you know, maybe you do have like that heightened, you know, scare reflex, that means one, people might be just jerks to you throughout your life and scare you more often and then mm-hmm. make fun of you for it. Right. Right. Um, or for in like my case, because I felt like I had such a hard time moving through it, I just built up this massive amount of resistance to the, mm-hmm. the charge that I was feeling. I kind of like the way of describing that, like that I would get this feeling in my body. And so then I just started like hating on this feeling because I was like, it's mm-hmm. this feeling that keeps getting in my way. Right. And so I think it's always important to differentiate between like what is ours and mm-hmm. what is not ours to process. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, yeah, go ahead. Always- that can get super muddied because what is actually the ripple in the pond and yeah. what is 
things that have happened in my life that is adding to that ripple in the pond. And it gets kind of, I bet you it gets kind of um, really muddy and murky and difficult to make distinctions on what is what. Absolutely. And the good news is, is we never need to logically be figuring it out. Like we can trust that our bodies can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, So we never need to logically be able to do it. And it's never done in a perfect order. And it's always both. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, working with something. And it's really just being able to make sure you can access it. Mm -hmm. Because I I don't do this part, but let's say, like I have like um, energetic techniques that I use, but I wouldn't say I'm like the go-to expert in ancestral processing, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But let's say you go to someone or like, you know, there are people who really just do more energetic work around it, which I try to do early on. Mm -hmm. I can never access it. Like I would do these sessions and, you know, work with these people who claim that they could do it. And it, I felt like it never got me anywhere. And now in retrospect, I can realize it's because I had so much of my own stuff layered on Mm -hmm. top and even like, like attachments to it that, you know what I mean? It was just like, there was so much in there, like that they were never able to even access it. I had to work through so many of these layers and then I could access it. Uh Um, and again, there's no right or there's no order of doing it perfectly, but if you've had that experience, um, or it's usually not something you can just jump right to, like magically clearing is really it. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's always being able to, um, really feel what we're feeling. And then we can just ask the question of like, how much of this is mine? Mm-hmm. And literally just ask your nervous system that of like, how much of this is even truly mine in the first place? Mm-hmm. And sometimes like a percentage will pop in your mind or like, you'll, you know, see something on a bar of like, oh, 50% or none of it is, or oh, all of this is yours. <laughs> um, but that's a way to start differentiating. Got it. And uh, is this this ancestor work that you're doing? Is this? Oh gosh, I'm 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 working on the question. I know there's a question there. You're so good. Formulated. Yeah. <laughs> is this your working with yourself in a therapy session with a practitioner that understands this? Is it something like a solo practice? Is this, are you working with ancestors that are still alive, ancestors that have passed? Kind of give me, I'm trying to get my arms around where we're talking. Yeah, I would, I would say, so for me, the way like I'm personally working through it is I have my own coach or practitioner who is an expert in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, I think with a lot of this ancestral stuff, we always need someone else to hold the space. Sure. Like you need another nervous system. I really, especially if you're not, unless you're already very experienced in like a very somatic embodiment energy perspective, mm-hmm. I think you can do some stuff on your own, but again, I'm an expert in it in terms of like the somatic embodiment piece, I do it for my clients. I hold the space for them, but I can't hold the space for my own nervous system at the same time as sure. doing it, especially these really big things. So, so yeah, I definitely recommend working with someone who is, especially when it comes to the ancestral stuff, somebody who knows what they're doing <laughs> um, for sure. 
Mm -hmm. So I feel like I was going to say something else in response. Oh, and then you were asking about like, kind of what ancestors are you working with? So I would say for, for me, it's been like a kind of a, a process that has evolved over time mm -hmm. because I, at one point started to do some ancestral work that was really more about like connecting and strengthening, like, like trying to get like ancestral wisdom, but I wasn't able to get that from my most recent ancestors because there was so much trauma in there. Like the lineage mm -hmm. hadn't been healed yet. So it's like mm -hmm. when I was connecting with them, it actually kind of, and I just like, I think that I had like guilt about this is that like, it felt terrible. Like mm -hmm. it didn't feel like they were supporting me. It actually felt like worse. And then I got instructed to not connect with my most recent ancestor. Like I was thinking of my grandma, for instance, it was how far back do you need to go to where they are healthy? Yes. And it was like the image in my mind was like, oh, okay, well that's like 4,000 years back. <laughs> like, all right. Could be a, could be a while. <laughs> yeah. So I have my like one like ancestral dude um, that is like my, like an image I get in my mind that he, he's very supportive. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so it's like from him, I can get like a lot of like sourcing and wisdom, but mm -hmm. like for the rest of my ancestral lineage, like I'm still working on clearing out a lot of the trauma. And so maybe I'll sure. get to the point where I can connect with them for the wisdom, but like I'm, I'm personally not there yet with my ancestral mm -hmm. lineage. So, yeah. And, and when you connect with this ancestor, this mm -hmm. male, male yeah. ancestor or male energy that is 4,000 years back, what does that feel like? How does that feel? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to get a, an understanding or zero in on what is that felt sense in you where you go, that's him. Good question. He's a, I'm going to share my felt sense. I'm going to just encourage everyone to be like, this may not be your felt sense. Um, sure. So, but one, I would say in general, there is a like, it, what first happens is like a like a calming of okay. my nervous system mm -hmm. and like a, a like a, a clarity that happens and like a lightness that happens mm -hmm. but the sense I get and I know you're like almost can feel it right now just talking about it um hey there mm -hmm. he's always behind me which is okay. interesting because I don't get a lot of things that show behind me and I feel like that he's always like dancing around a fire but he's actually always like from behind me, like almost like pulling energy out of my body. And it always feels really good. Like it's like clearing stuff out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like endless pulling that he's been doing. Um, so yeah, that is my felt sense. It's almost like this like massive, to me, I like almost get the sense that it's like working its way through the like lineage. And I'm just like allowing the process to happen, but it's not, I'm not processing it through my body, but I'm like, um, the conduit, I guess, if that makes sense. I've mm -hmm. never thought about that until you asked me that. So that just came yeah. to me as I was talking, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to point out mm -hmm. that that awareness, that feeling that you experience when you connect with that ancestor, think about when we were little mm -hmm. and we were by our uncle, uh, aunt, grandma, grandpa, whoever that was, we're all, it's like you sat on their lap or you sat at the, at the base of their rocking chair or the couch. And you, you had a certain sense when you were around them, how you felt when you were around them. 
you didn't feel the same when, when you were with your mom or your dad. There's a different sense and a feeling. And I think this is what we're cultivating. We were talking about this briefly before the call is that there's this cultivation of that relationship, that feeling, that understanding that we're building. The more we do it, the more we uh, flex that energetic muscle in our mind mm-hmm. on these ancestors that are around us all the time. Yeah. I love that way of looking at it, of just like flexing the muscle. And yes, the like the building of the relationship. Absolutely. Well, it's neurology. Yeah. Neurology. If you go to lift weights, mm-hmm. it is a, a pattern that you're forming in your neurology to strengthen your physical body. This is no different. Yeah. You're strengthening your relationship, that neurological connection. Because we're talking about trauma that's stuck in the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at everything through the lens of the neurology. What is going on? If it's trauma, if it's pain, whatever it is, it's through the neurology. And is it a sympathetic or a parasympathetic state? Mm-hmm. And if you're tapping in with an ancestor that it has lots of trauma, well, that's what you're going to feel in your neurology. It's going to get jacked up. But if you're tapping in with that ancestor that is healed, that is centered and focused and balanced, that can help you move what is going on. Well, there you go. Parasympathetic state healing takes place. Yes. I love that. I love that distinction. So, so important. So good. So, okay. Well, I don't know where that came from, but there you go. No, it's so good. And I'm so, yeah, I'm so curious. I know you, you know, have experience with it too. So I'm just curious in terms of like, if you have any like favorite techniques or I don't know, anything that you want to share. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Well, here we go. Uh, And (laughs) this, we had the last podcast that you Mm -hmm. and I spoke on. I think this popped up at the very end of the podcast. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Okay. This is a cool topic to talk about and my my own ex, my experience um w- was i was feeling very um lost in my life mm-hmm. in terms of what is going on why do things keep uh why do i keep throwing gutter balls with everything and i need to kind of get the ball down the center and start throwing strikes mm-hmm. and i began uh working with some people that had experience with uh, developing and cultivating relationships with ancestors. Mm -hmm. And that was just this vague concept. It didn't totally make sense or, or land with me, but it was something that I would, was be that I began doing um, physical Mm -hmm. things on a daily basis Mm -hmm. of setting up altars Mm -hmm. where I would, um, light a candle and set up water and, um, have pictures mm-hmm. of my, my, uh, relatives that have passed on those altars as a way of uh, su- supporting the, what I felt was lacking in my life. The, and the more I did that on a daily basis, it there was this sense of calm that came within me that it was like, oh, wow. It started bringing back memories of when I was little. 
oh. of when I was a, you know, a young boy, teenager in my twenties and they were still around and what they would say to me, it, it's like, there was something about their passing that was traumatic for me that I, I lost these memories. Oh, yeah. And then it was like, well, how would they look at this situation that I'm in? What would they say? How would they advise me? Mm-hmm. And ironically, the more I started looking at that type of relationship in my life, And what I was doing to cultivate and nurture that relationship, the more I started seeing things that were shining through in other aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Napoleon Hill, for instance, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of Andrew Carnegie's protege. I don't know if you've, you know who I'm. I'm familiar. Yeah. Familiar. Okay. (laughs) Well, in his thing, he talked about having a board, Mm. bringing people in from a board and he would bring people in that were deceased Mm -hmm. and he would consult with his board on a daily basis as to how he would make business decisions yes yeah you know so it's like all of a sudden when you see these very successful business people were doing something very similar to what I was doing that it was like huh this isn't as far out there as it was being uh led to believe Yes. That this is not, um, this is not out of the ordinary. That there are very, very successful people in the world that have used this type of connection yeah. with those that have gone before them as a way of navigating through the world and using this input as a perspective, not as like the be all end all. Mm-hmm. Because I went down that road and I was like, oh. I just ended up <laughs> in a dead end because I took too much um, stock in to that perspective. Like this is it. And they taught me a very valuable lesson. So, it, and it, it's all about really connecting with yourself and trusting in the decisions that you make. Mm, so good. So, so good. And I love that distinction that you put in there of like, you're not blindly following what they're saying or like what message you're getting. It's then ultimately coming back and trusting yourself. I think that is, oh my gosh, so, so important because yeah, when you hear a message, you can, it can then be true. Like I know if I communicate with my, you know, grandma who's, you know, passed away, the message she's going to be sending me is one that is based out of a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Right. But I love like how you're like, I can then take that message and hear it mm-hmm. and also know her history, know the fear. And I can then make it make sense for my life of mm-hmm. like, Hey, look, let me update you that like my life actually doesn't have that same fear in it it's now a different year. It's not, you know what I mean? And yes, I just, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, I love that of, of you're not just like taking whatever they say and doing it, because I think that's where a lot of people can go. That's where I went wrong initial, initially, like years, years, years ago, I was like, oh yeah, let me just follow what they say. Not realizing everything that their, their guidance was so fear-based 
um, that it wasn't serving me. And I never, I never really followed it just because it would freak me out too much. So I had to first build the self-trust and trust myself to receive any message and then do what makes sense for me and what's aligned for me from it, but taking whatever wisdom comes from it. So I love that you said that. Did you ever ask her what she needs? I we're I'm building that relationship now. Ah, there you yeah, go. That's, like, yeah, we're, we're getting need, there. What does she need to facilitate the release of that trauma of that fear? Yeah, there's That'll a be big. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge shift <laughs> yeah. right there. That's big time. Yes. That's yes. that's good stuff. Oh, anyhow, yes. I love that question though of like what what does this part need or this person need? It is so it's so yeah. good. Yeah, well, whoever is struggling. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times without getting into too much detail, when I have conversations, uh, there will be, well, unless (laughs) they're wanting something before Mm. the conversation happens. If you think about it, it's no different than if you were to have someone stop over your house, you have a friend stop Mm -hmm. over and you like to have a nice conversation with them. Would you like some coffee? Would you like some tea? what would you like? Mm -hmm. And then let's talk. And sometimes that's it. And it's no different. It's the same type of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. And yes, that's, I feel like that question can be applied to like, oh, like, what do you need to like, even just parts of yourself, like inner child or anything like that? Totally. Yeah. What do you, what do you need? And the cool thing is for anybody, everyone listening is like, you get to just give it to them, like in your mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so easy. You'd be like, all right, cool. Yep. There you go. You got it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There, there's no, and I think there, there's for me mm-hmm. growing up, there was definitely a, well, you got to do this first to deserve it. You have Ooh, to, you know, yeah. you got to jump through hoops in order to be deserving of that thing, whatever that is. And now it's like, we have make your own adventure. You, you want this here, right there. No, totally. no, 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 anything. Yes. <laughs> we yes. don't have to wait. Exactly. Don't and yeah. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Pain Education Corner. If you have a special talent or skill to relieve pain and you'd like to become a guest on our show, visit us at thecamellafoundation.org forward slash interview. Help us spread the word on eliminating pain and suffering in the world. That's thecamellafoundation.org forward slash interview. Yeah, just because you showed up. That's it. It's all you got to do is show up. Yes. I love it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Anyhow. This is good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think some of the the questions when we're asking questions we're asking questions out of our own trauma like what we need to get over the knee pain the neck pain the back pain the hip pain whatever it is the emotional grief from myself my my life or what's passed along in the ripple we ask the right question and a lot of times it's only asking the right question it's like the nervous system just oh just drops yeah, it's, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, and it's oh palpable, God. palpable. Yes, and I think that's where having someone, somebody else, sometimes ask the question to facilitate it changes can change everything because mm-hmm. 
they might be able to just twist it just slightly or see it where it's getting stuck or anything like that. And it's like, you're so right. The right question. It's like, oh, everything just drops yeah. before you even get the answer. It's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing how much that that shifts things. Yeah. And, and isn't that part of the trauma is not seeing the nuances and the distinctions? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the black and white thinking, right? It's, it's thinking mm-hmm. like it's getting, it's seeing, or it's often not seeing where you are stuck in black and white thinking, but often we cannot see it for ourselves. Right. Right. It kind of, it has to be sometimes pointed out to you and you need to like be given that like third option to, to like kind of blow your mind a bit of like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, there is a third option. Cause often when we're stuck in it, I'm trying to like think of a good example right here, but it's like, we're stuck in it. It's like, we are so convinced mm-hmm. that these are the only two scenarios. Like either I cure all my pain and then I can go live a happy life or I am stuck in pain and I'm going to be suffering and be miserable for the rest of my life. Right. It's like, those are the only two possible yeah. paths. That's it. Yeah, actually, there's like 48 <laughs> other paths. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. We just can't see them. And that's okay. It's not like no one can see them for themselves a lot of times. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I got a great example of that. There was a yes, situation, a uh, re- relationship that I was like, well, I've asked her to do this and she doesn't do this. And I've asked her for this information and she doesn't give it to me. And then, you know, I, I was going on and on. I was stuck in mm-hmm. this loop. And he had this uh, mentor of mine at the time. And he looked at me, he goes, well, can't you get that information? <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a total like jaw drop yeah. during the headlights. Like, uh, y- yeah, I could. And, and it was a game changer for me, not relying on her to do what she was either incapable or unwilling to do. Yeah. And that was like, oh, yes, uh-huh. I'll go do the research on that. I'll find that out. Yeah. And anything that I could do myself, I will do and stop asking her for it because I'm not going to get it and I yeah. won't be let down anymore. That's such a good example. I'm going to give one more example now. Okay, <laughs> cool. These are good to shake people up. Is as I, I thought of one, um, I was just actually talking about in terms of parenting, of like it can feel like, either I yell at my kid and show him what's right and show him the right way and get mad at him for doing it the wrong way and show him that his way is wrong. Right. Or I have a kid that just does whatever they want. They're disrespectful and there's no rules or boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's like, there's actually an option option C where we treat our child like a human and are respectful and have a conversation with them and, you know, can lovingly, show them another option totally they're still learning and they're brand new to the world and they don't know um so yeah i found that with, with my daughter um mm-hmm. i try to ask questions to understand how she was viewing things yes like because when my daughter was two i took her in the woods mm-hmm. and we were walking through the woods and she was going this path that was, I was like, no, 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 you don't want to go that way. And of course I'm six foot. I see the woods very differently. So I squatted down to her height and I saw what she was looking at. And I was like, that makes total sense. 
how she was walking through the woods. Yeah. It made total sense from her two foot tall perspective. It made oh. sense. Yes. However, <laughs> I didn't see it that way until I looked at it from her perspective. That was such a huge lesson for me yeah. in terms of uh, asking her when she does something, whatever it is. And I encourage her to voice herself to me is like, well, what, what were you thinking there? Mm -hmm. What was going on for you? And she'll go and she'll explain the whole thing. And I'll be like, that makes total sense. I get you. Totally. Oh my gosh. That, that is, that forest example is so beautiful. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. That is so much. I'm like going to go cry now. <laughs> so, yeah. beautiful. so many, like what a just like a like literal way of being like literally seeing the world through someone else's eyes. Like, mm -hmm it's changes everything and being able to see that and understanding where they're coming from and then taking action sure from there and choosing what to to do next so oh, that's beautiful now i feel like we've gone in all so many directions but i love it yeah it all relates <laughs> it, it does all relate because it's all neurological yes. it, it's what's stuck in our neurology in our dna and it's the ripple down from those that have gone before us yeah. and What's fascinating to me, and you brought this up, and I don't think we made the distinction, but I've heard it talked about the ancestors on the other side of the veil. Mm. And, and what there, there's, and there's a couple of veils that I've, I've uh, recognized. One is those that you've met mm. while you were still alive. And then those that you haven't met that have passed before you, but you still maybe have pictures of. Mm -hmm. And then there's other ones that are, depending on how far back you go, that there is, um, you just have names. Mm -hmm. You know nothing about them. No one alive today met them that is able to share that with you. Mm -hmm. And then you got others that there's no name for them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we came from somewhere. There had to be somebody along the line that met and got together and then had children and mm -hmm. had the one, you know, so it's like, I see these layers of veils, uh, like you said, going back 4,000 years, of course, everybody had mm -hmm. somebody in there. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. what, when we, when we start to, I don't think when that concept was first introduced to me, I was like, oh, wow. I never thought about it that way. I never thought about it in generational uh, understanding that these are people that played a role in my existence, that they had habits and pet peeves and patterns and stuff that are playing out in me right now. Yes. Yes. And that, yeah, I love that. Just that nuance there, because I feel like there is so much nuance to all of that and it brings up uh that story of i don't know if you've heard it's kind of like a folk tale or whatever of the woman who you know she goes to make her thanksgiving turkey and she like cuts the end off of it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and her, I don't know, her husband's like why are you doing that well because my mom did it and she goes to ask her mom like why do you cut off the butt? Well, because grandma did it. And they go to ask grandma and they're like, why did you do that? She's like, because it didn't fit in my oven. <laughs> it didn't fit in the oven, right. Yeah, and it's just like, we do these things without questioning if they still make sense in our own mm -hmm. life because they were just 
passed down. Mm-hmm. So it's just taking that time to be like, hmm, why, why did you do that? <laughs> does that mm-hmm. still make sense in my life? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and I think that there's this, at least for me, there, mm-hmm. there was this place that somehow it was better back then that mm. somehow um, that there was a wisdom or a knowledge mm-hmm. that uh, has is secret or uh, like there's there's there was an understanding of life that we've lost mm-hmm. and as I got into that and what what I what was a, a great thing for me is I got into uh, baking Italian desserts and cooking nice. like my great grandmother's um, uh, pasta sauce recipe mm. and my great grandmother's rogota cake. She had mm. this cheese, it's Italian cheesecake. And I started playing with the recipes and mm-hmm. there was some point in the process that all of a sudden I started like, oh, I wonder if I tweaked this a little bit. <laughs> it turned yeah. out, yeah. I'll say better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was this place where all of a sudden it, I feel I felt like I graduated. I felt like it was like now I was creating the story that others would want to emulate rather than thinking that I lost something from the past. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I love that. It's like, it was a journey to get there. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's really such a good way to describe it. Yeah. I had to screw it up a lot. I had to do things and try things and test things and experiment with things. And, and, uh, but yeah, I think there's this place where like, we want there, there's an honoring of the ancestors when we show up more more present, more fully present in our life than they were able to, for whatever reason. Yes. <sighs> yes, absolutely. I, I so, so agree to that. Mm-hmm. And I know for, for me, I had to move through a lot of, I think, guilt to get to that place where I could honor. Mm-hmm because I had a lot of guilt for how good my life was compared mm-hmm. to my parents and compared to my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I didn't have to work for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like almost shameful that I like, I could just experience all these things. And it like was a journey to move through that, to get to that place of like, honoring and being like, oh, wait, they wouldn't have wanted me to live my life in less than because it's mm-hmm. like they, that's, they worked this hard. They went through all they did. So I could have all of this. So, you know, presented to me. So yeah. 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 Well, they, they freed it up for you. Yes. To do exactly. the work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is, yeah. I, I, yes. And I, that is actually one of the things that I say to a lot of the women I work with who, who are carrying this, they're kind of like, the hell why am I carrying this and I'm like my my belief really is is that we are especially for women that we're finally in a place like literally for one of the first times in history where women have the freedom to do this work and the safety to do this work and obviously that's still not true in a ton of parts of the world right but like 
for the women I work with who, you know, are more privileged, they are, they do have like a level of safety in their lives. Mm -hmm. It's like, then now they're struggling with chronic pain and illness because now it's like the lineage wanting to be healed. Cause it's like, you have the safety and the resources to Mm -hmm. heal and those we never had those before. Yep. So yeah, because I work with a lot of like entrepreneurs, like women who are making a lot of money and feel like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of there, there's a lot that comes up with that because there's like sure. an inherent unsafety in the nervous system for like women who are now holding money because that wasn't like, it wasn't until 1980 where women could even have her own bank account. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's all very new. So yes, yes to the like freeing up. So sure. we can do the work. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, and uh, the more we could uh, create the capacity in our neurology to move more. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I tell my clients, the good thing about being more aware is you're more aware. And the bad thing about being more aware is you're more aware. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, it's, yes. It's to a double-edged that. sword. It's so, it so is. <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have a choice. Yes, I don't, you can't, you can't, unfortunately you can't become unaware. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could try. I see people, they, they're, they're doing a good job of it. Once you, once you see it though, it's, it's so hard to unsee it. Yeah. It, it's more <laughs> painful though. Like yeah. I think the physical pain, at least in my experience, uh, my experience of physical pain in my life has been to course correct, has been to guide me in a different direction. Yeah. If I don't recognize that course correction, mm-hmm. then I'm continuing to go down the path that um, is going to lead to more lead to more pain. Like I needed to dislocate my left knee four times before I went to the doctor, so my right. learning curve was a little flat, and then I needed to pivot and go in a different direction in my life because um, it just wasn't happening the, the direction I was going. Yes. And yeah, I think we have such a similar view on pain and that it's like sending this message for us to receive mm-hmm. and sometimes seeing it's hard. <laughs> but that's- yeah. Yeah. Well, our own, work. like yeah. what you were saying, you need that mm-hmm. outside perspective mm-hmm. to be able to share and see it objectively. Because you could see what's going on with me infinitely better than I could see what's going on with myself because I'm in it. I don't see my blind spots. If I saw my blind spots, they wouldn't be blind spots and vice versa. Yes. Vice versa. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yes. I just had a client because boxer me and, and just be like, I really hate how much it helps to just like work with this with someone else. I just always wish I could just do it myself. And then I message you and I feel so much better. <laughs> like mm. how our nervous systems are built, but yeah, sometimes it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> well, I think there's, there's baby steps we could take. Oh, and, absolutely. I, and I think what happens many times is when I was, and, and this happened to me a bunch of times, I had a mentor and they're like, do this, just do this between now and the next time we talk. And I didn't do the thing. I would do everything else except the thing that they told me to do. And then I'd show up again and I was like, well, it didn't change that much. They're like, well, did you do the thing? 
well, I didn't. And I think that's the trauma. That's that ripple effect of whatever it is, trauma from my life, trauma from ancestral, that is creating the blind spot. Like it, everything inside of me didn't want to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And if I would have just done it, it would have been a game changer. Yeah. But if it's not safe to bring in the game changer into your life, your whole body is going to resist doing it. Yes. But there, when is it here? Here's a question. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't necessarily know the answer. When is it that it, I'm going to use exercise as an example. Mm -hmm. Sometimes exercise will benefit you if done correctly. And other times, if you push yourself to do the exercise, you actually injure yourself more. So with that one thing, that's going to be a game changer. Am I resisting it because it's my nervous system doesn't feel safe or am I avoiding this in some way that is perpetuating my stuckness? Yeah. And I think, I, I think they're both related. Totally. Right? Like yeah. the reason, yeah, we like perpetuate our stuckness is because it doesn't, it's like that fear of success almost. Like it's like, we don't yes. feel safe to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, like if your nervous system is always used to chaos and used to trauma and used to the sympathetic state, if you're trying to enter in something that is bringing in that calm or, you know, kind of this like almost knowing of like, Ooh, that's actually going to be like a really good successful path. Mm-hmm. And, and the way you're just defining success, of course, your nervous system will be like, Oh, F that. Like, I don't want to go down that path. That's terrifying. Sure. Right. Right. Um, but in terms of like exercise specifically, I think it's such a great question. And I think this is one, there's never any one instance that's going to make or break anything for the most part. I mean, I I suppose for exercise, you could probably, whatever, but let's not get too dramatic here. Right. But it's like, sometimes it is, it is literally data gathering and get gathering evidence and in like tiny little doses of like, oh, what happens if I do this? How does my nervous system respond? Because sometimes mm-hmm. we, we cannot, I think for so many things, we cannot know until we take an action. Mm-hmm. And True. it's that action that is going to then give us more information. And then we can get, take another step. Mm-hmm. Right? And that action could be literally like doing one more lunge, right? Of like, okay, let me, let me just see what does happen if I do one more rep. Mm-hmm. What new information do I have here? and then retaking it into consideration. So sometimes you have to take action. Sometimes that action might lead to failure, but that's new information. Sure. And at the end of the day, it's always coming back to like knowing when you're talking to your own like authentic wisdom, that self-trust that you talked about Mm -hmm. and knowing when you're communicating with that side of yourself versus the, a part of yourself that is stuck in a trauma. Mm-hmm. that is stuck in the stuckness because if you're communicating with that part they're going to be like stop don't do the thing right they're going to be sending you a message of all the reasons why you shouldn't do the thing mm-hmm. whereas if you're really communicating with that aligned part of yourself they might be telling you something very different so it's like what yeah. voice are you listening to yeah I, and that's I developing do. that skill to listen to 
those different voices. Go ahead. Yes, I think I got the insight on that. And I knew it on some level. I just didn't articulate it in the example. So the example was exercise. And if I make the exercise be this unmovable, unchangeable exercise, mm-hmm. then it, I, I may need to do something else. Like instead of lifting the heaviest weight I've ever lifted, maybe it's doing something that looks like uh, running on a treadmill a little bit mm-hmm. to warm up and then see how things go instead of trying to put a square peg in a round hole at that time that it can evolve and change. So the one thing can possibly be broken down into smaller baby steps that can be worked and then build up to the thing that needs to be done. Yes. It's the nuance. It is. The distinctions and nuances in the process. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's such a good example because like I'm, I'm building out a course right now and my course is so focused on being able to get that nuance in the first place to like develop that connection with yourself that you can mm-hmm. then make that nuance because for example, like in, you know, having my own business, if I have a business coach, they tell me to do something. They're not like a trauma informed business coach. Right. Every time I hear something, it like lights me up in terms of all this stuff, because I still have all these things that I work through from, from like on the business side, but they tell me the thing that they want me to do. Let's say it's send an email that says X thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm, okay, sure. I'm going to go do that. And then I'm like, holy shit. Now I got to go deal with all my like trauma and fear and whatever that's coming up, but they're not the person I deal with it with, right? Like now I have my tools. Like again, now in order to send out the email, some of my steps are sitting with a fear and being with a fear and maybe doing uh-huh. some fearing and doing that. Right. But I, I now see that inner work as such like an integral part to any step I'm taking. Sure. Um, so that's kind of really what I'm trying to teach people is like, once you know that, how to do that piece, once you know how to sit with discomfort, sit with fear, sit with uncertainty, anxiety, mm-hmm. any of those things, you can do anything because sure. you're right. Like that's, you're breaking it down into like, that becomes the first step mm-hmm. of not letting that stop you. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense, but anyway, it does. Yeah. It yeah. does. Um, I was shown it as staging, mm. like staging, like, mm-hmm many times I can get an incredible amount done, Mm -hmm. not by doing the thing, but getting everything prepared Ah. to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll work on a project. And then I look at all of the components I need to do that project, Mm -hmm. getting it all together and I'll have it in a pile. Yeah. Uh, If it's something physical or maybe it's, I just need to send a text. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, it's so it's like I'll set up all of these. To, what is the next little easiest step that's going to yes. move things forward? Yes, I love that. I love and love the little, just look next little step. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which could be sit with the fear for, for the uncertainty for five minutes. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Yeah. It's a basic okay. Moment. So that five minutes is like, oh. Terrible five minutes, but it always yeah. takes off so so much. I might I might procrastinate for an hour before taking those five minutes sometimes, but you know once I do it, I do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing how much it helps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but all this translates to pain. 
it does. everything yeah. it does like and the ancestral work i see it as integral uh it's been my experience of yeah. what i have uh, moved through yes uh, and it's so cool to see that you bring it into your practice too because it's so so important <laughs> yeah and i told you about this the whole camella foundation that mm -hmm. was a uh yeah yeah a manifestation of all of that work it was yeah. mm, so cool it was my um <clears throat> my sicilian grandfather that's so cool so yes oh, love it cool how you feel <laughs> good this is great i know i'm like okay i feel like people yeah. this is a lot probably for to take in so take your time with this listen a few times that I was actually just going to say that whenever there is information, like a lot of information I hear for the first time, it can be overwhelming and difficult to integrate. And so I'll give a, a first listen through yeah. and put all of my uh, panic or whatever comes up for me listening to it aside and then listen to it a second time. And a lot of times that second and or third time it lands on a way different level that it's like, oh, it makes sense. Cause there's sometimes the first time you can't even hear it. There's things that I've listened to even this week, podcasts or videos, mm -hmm. no way I'll hear it the first time, the second, third time it's even better. Totally. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, Okay. Are we complete today? I think, I think so. Yeah. I feel, it feels like a good place it, to stop. It does. Yeah, absolutely. I will leave an open invitation to you. <laughs> Thank you. And if like there is another topic yeah. that you want to dig into, let's okay. do it. Sounds I think good. it's fun. Um, and we'll just jump on another call. But we will, uh, what I will do is once again, we'll have all of your contact information okay. down below. Okay. Uh, website whatever we had set up on the first one we'll just do that again and then this way if somebody wants to reach out to you connect with you talk with you about what we talked about today what we talked about first podcast they can do so and uh sign up for your program do you have a name for your program yet unweaving chronic pain go figure <laughs> awesome yes oh this is so good cool Okay, well, uh, then we're good. Anything else you'd like to say before we wrap it up? No, this is, this is just, this is great. I love talking about this. And yeah, if, if anybody does have any questions or like there is a question that I can come back and clarify or, you know, people want to hear more of, let me know. <laughs> great. Awesome, and Andrea. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is Bill Paravano, the knee pain guru. Going to wrap it up for today. Have a wonderful day and we will see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning into this week's segment of the Pain Education Corner. Join us next week for another conversation on natural healing methods to eliminate pain. To learn more about the work we do at the Camella Foundation, please visit our website at the Camella C O. M E L L A foundation dot org.